Welcome to the About Sex Podcast. I'm your host, Angela Skirtu, and you can find me at www.aboutsexpodcast.com, or you can also find me at www.therapistinstlouis.com. And today I have Lena El- El Khatib, or I'm going to say it, I'm going to try and say it correctly, El Khatib, <laughs> although I probably screwed it up. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Thank <perfect. laughs> you. Thank you, Lena, for respecting my attempts. You know, <laughs> I know I'm butchering everything. But anyhow, Lena is a licensed marriage and family therapist and ASEC certified sex therapist. And your pronouns are she, her. Um, so any, anyhow, Lena, why don't you tell us a little more about you, your professional identity, what you do, what makes you awesome? Sure, sure. Um, I'm glad to be here today. Um, One of the things I love talking about is sex and the work that I do. Um, Like you mentioned earlier, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and a sex therapist. And my work really focuses on working with adults on relationship and sex therapy. I practice at uh, my own practice, which I just launched a couple months ago called Essentia Therapy in Chicago, Illinois. What's a link? It's Essentia, E-S-S-E-N-T-I-A, therapy.com. All right, continue. Tell us more about you. Yeah, yeah. And, and so the thing about my work is that, you know, there's the letters at the end of my name and the training that they have in therapy, but really what I bring in is all of the aspects of my identity. I'm a career changer. I'm a, I used to be a creative director, so creativity is a big part of my work. I'm a spouse, a parent, a step-parent, an Arab-American, a Muslim woman, a third culture kid, uh, a dragon and unicorn aficionado. Those are all part of how I define myself and what I bring into my work. You know, of all of the things that you mentioned, I really was curious about the unicorn and dragon aficionado. (laughs) Can you tell us more about that first? (laughs) (laughs) Funny that that would take the lead, but... Of course. As silly as it sounds... I believe in play. I believe in play and I believe in fantasy. And I think that if we can incorporate that into every aspect of our lives, we'll never be stuck because we can always imagine a way out. And so, so do you use dragons to get out? <laughs> so that's more of a personal thing. Everybody's different. But um, one of the ways that actually after rough sessions or if I'm having a hard time or feeling stressed, I literally sit there and draw dragons and unicorns and, and it just makes me happy, as silly as it is. Oh, no, it doesn't sound silly at all. Everybody's got to do what works for them. <laughs> all right. Now, before we get into this next conversation, I just want to stop to give us a word from our new sponsors. So I am now working with a really cool company called Let's Get Checked. You can find them at trilgc.com slash stay kinky. What's really cool about this company actually is that they're doing testosterone testing for men and hormone checks for men and women. A lot of people are struggling with hormonal imbalances and reduced testosterone levels, which really can impact your sex life. And so more and more men and women are trying to test their hormone levels to see how they're doing. One in four men over 30 are actually low in testosterone. Symptoms you might want to look at include fatigue, erectile dysfunction, low sex drive, anxiety, brain fog, even having a hard time making decisions, which is basically most of my client population. (laughs) Just teasing. But I mean, enough of you who come see me are actually really struggling with testosterone levels and your sex drive. So what's cool about this group is you can pick from either a male hormone test kit, a female hormone test kit, or an STD test kit. And what's really cool is they send it right to you 
in your home. You do what you need to do to take the test. And depending on what test you use, you'll either have to do a blood sample or a blood sample and a urine sample. And then you send it back and everything's completely confidential. And basically, they deliver to your home, they collect your sample, they review your results for you. So depending on what happens with your test, they may provide a prescription in some cases. Usually it would only be for something like if they're treating STDs. If you do end up having something longer term like hormone therapy, then you'll likely be referred to a longer term provider. But at least you'll know where you stand. So it's really cool. Your results are available and they'll be reviewed by a physician. And then a nurse will contact you for a consultation over the phone. The Let's Get Checked Laboratories are CLIA approved and everything is completely anonymous. So again, that website is trylgc.com slash stay kinky and use the coupon code stay kinky to get 20% off. All right. So interesting. Dragons and unicorns. I, you know, okay. So you draw your dragons and unicorns to kind of, it almost sounds like a self-care ritual. It is. It is. Actually. I, I actually plan imaginary birthday parties. <laughs> Wait, where? Like, what do you mean? In your head or I, like thinking, they're going to happen? Nope, they're not going to happen. <laughs> but it's just me being able to turn off all of the parts of my mind that feel heavy and to turn on just lightness and play in fantasy. Oh my gosh. Do you know what, Lena? I actually have this. All right. So you're just dropping a bomb on me that I have, I guess I have to go down on this, but like, I actually kind of see two brain states. Um, and one of them I call the playground and one of them I call this, the cobwebs. And when people are in more of their play fantasy space, that's the playground. It's when you're kind of in a fun fantasy, like, it's like what you're describing, which when you're daydreaming, it's maybe when you're fantasizing about sex, but it's all very positive. It's all playful. It's fun. And then the cobwebs is like that anxiety space where you get, and why I call them the cobwebs is because you get stuck in them. You like get stuck. Like you, spin them yourself and you get stuck in them and it's really like it spirals like just like a just like a cobweb so I don't know you just like drew something out of me there yeah that that's actually a great way to describe it and and for a lot of people I think we try to deal with the cobweb state by trying to untangle it when really we need Mm -hmm. to just step away from it and go to that other brain state to the playground yeah invest in the playground And it's great. It could be dragons. It could be porn. Whatever your thing is, it's all good. Whatever you like. It could be dragon porn. Let's put it together. That's that's actually a thing, just so you know. (laughs) I did not know that, but I appreciate you telling me. So what are some of the challenges you face in your practice? Like, you know, couples, I know there's a lot we work with, but you said you bring all of your identities. So tell me more about how you bring some of these other identities into your work. Sure. So when I work with clients, a big part of kind of my mission, it's using creativity and compassion and curiosity to help them explore, challenge, and rewrite their sexual scripts. And we cannot talk about our scripts without talking about all of our parts of our identities. My views Mm. as sex as a woman can't be separated from my views as sex as a Muslim woman, as an Arab woman, as a parent. And so by being in touch with those parts of my identity myself, I'm able to work with that in the session and help my clients access all of their different parts as well as we do this exploration of the scripts that they're living by. So do you tell people, so do you guide them to tell their script or do you actually kind of mesh scripts? It's both. It's both. Ultimately, it is about who they are and their different parts. But a lot of times, and especially because I work a lot with the Muslim and Arab American community, it is important for them to know that there are parts of their identities that I understand, that I've lived, that I've been through. 
so that they don't feel like they're speaking and having to explain all of these different parts of, of what it's like to be Muslim or to be Arab. So I do share parts of my identity and parts of kind of my process, but really the goal is for them to be able to access theirs. Can, can you just, so like, you know, right now, obviously we're going through a lot of, um, sorry, I just have to take a deep breath because just I was thinking of like this pandemic and then some of the racial turmoil that's come up recently. And it's not like, I hate the word recently too. So like, as I was like, why I had to sigh is I was thinking of like, what's the right way to say this, how to address this, but it's important to address it. So like, what, what are you seeing in the Muslim population and the Arab population that sometimes people aren't seeing because they're just not a part of that population? Oh, so I know that's a hard, sorry. Sorry. It was a big question. No, no. And, and it's, it's very much a part of my work. And actually the re I'm sorry. My two-year-old is throwing a tantrum outside. <laughs> oh, I was curious. Cause like actually earlier we had a cat in session. So like, it's fine. You can have a kid. Throwing it. Do you need to handle it? Or are you okay? No, no, no. She, she has childcare, but I, I guess oh, okay. what recording in the time of Corona looks like. It is. You know what? This is real life. We're going to have tantrums. Let's have a tantrum together, Lena. Sure, sure. <laughs> so tell me more about like you know, the original question. So, you know, tantrum is a fitting word for it, actually, because sometimes it, when I hear some of the stories, it makes me want to throw one. But the yeah. thing that, that comes up a lot with my clients, and, and I do have to, to phrase this by saying the reason I focused on this demographic, aside from the connection, obviously, to my own culture, people were seeking me out. I had clients that were messaging me saying, I need to work with you because you're the only Arabic speaking or Muslim, my name is Muslim, so they know, uh, therapist that actually has an inclusivity statement on their website about being um, BDSM friendly, LGBTQI positive, sex positive. And so there aren't a lot of spaces for this population where they can talk and feel understood. But, but mm -hmm. the biggest thing that they come in with is the impact sexual shame is having on the choices that they're making in their lives. And mm -hmm. they don't actually know that it's coming from sexual shame because that's not something that's talked about. And so I might work with clients that perceive their sexual experiences or even their relational experiences as punishment for having completely normative sexual experiences where they're translating, wow. for example, masturbating as a teenager because they, they've never talked about it. They don't know that it's normal. They grow up and, and if they're experiencing, for example, an orgasmia in their relationship, they believe that it's a punishment because they masturbated when they were younger. Because in, in the belief system, masturbation is considered wrong or, or harmful or because I, you know, I'm also learning from you here. I don't know everything about um, the Muslim faith and how people in the Arab community feel about masturbation. So, I mean, if you're open to addressing just some of that, I'm curious, sure. what are some of, what, what, what are the beliefs? <laughs> so that's the part that's, uh, that's the part that's really interesting. The beliefs themselves, what the Quran talks about in terms of sex, it's actually very pro-pleasure. There actually okay. aren't all that many rules. Technically, the only rule that is explicitly stated as being uh, forbidden is anal sex. But other than that, most Quranic references around sex are pleasure-based about it being something that 
both people are meant to enjoy and are meant to engage in. But the problem is that what people know of are the interpretations of the Quran that are made by men, older men, in a very conservative region. And, mm. and so what they're getting are these decrees, these fatwas about what is sinful and what is not from the viewpoint of, of men in a very patriarchal society. So it's actually not, the religion itself doesn't say anything about masturbation. Mm. But the decrees that have come out afterwards essentially cast anything that is uncomfortable or scary as threatening as being sinful. That's so interesting and so so challenging too, because you know men people people are the ones who interpret readings and in, you know some of these documents right that you know the documents like the Quran mm -hmm. are part of um, the guiding principles and the guiding beliefs and value systems right but then it's still kind of up to men and people to interpret what those things mean right and I've definitely seen just not just in in Muslim religion but across religions there can be some challenge to like how how do people come together with that and how do you take it outside of its context yes does that make sense absolutely absolutely and and that's so one of the biggest things that, that that's a part of the problem is that these these decrees are being made there's a lot of communication about what is you know quote unquote sinful or bad or wrong or don't do this or you or whatever no yeah, talk sure. about pleasure and it's mm -hmm. all in the context of of silence oftentimes i'll have clients i can visibly see them in my session their shoulders droop and the sigh of relief when i tell them that Masturbation is normal because they actually believe that other people don't do it. Really? Huh. Yeah, you can you can grow up as a as a Middle Eastern person, especially in the Middle East, and have no idea that everybody around them is masturbating too. That's got to be so hard. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, just like imagining that, you know, although I, I grew up personally in a pretty conservative religion myself, and we had a lot of... I mean, there was definitely a similar sort of mentality around you shouldn't masturbate, it's not okay. And and there's a lot of people in relationships who would say things along the lines of, you should, um, I would never, ma I don't do that. Right. You know, it's so funny because whenever I hear that phrase, I would never, Yeah. I, like those are always the people, like every time. So you're, so whoever you're, says <laughs> I would never. That means they're doing it while they're saying it. <laughs> that means, yeah, I'm doing it right now as I'm on this phone conversation or I'm on the Zoom call since of course the pandemic's occurred. So there are no pants exactly. masturbating as they do it. Exactly. That's, that's, that's the best part of all of this. <laughs> Thank God for Zoom, right? So you can masturbate during work. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that should be their next tagline. <laughs> oh, God. All right. You broke me. That works. That works. Okay. <laughs> so how do you help people then? Um, you said in one of your uh, things in your questionnaire, you said you apply storytelling to your sex therapy work. So how do you use this kind of creative storytelling to help people change these narratives? So, yes, I use storytelling a lot. And I, I've always believed in the power of stories, even before I got into this field. And, and when I say stories, I'm talking about the sets of beliefs and values that we've created through our experiences that we've inherited that we maybe haven't questioned. And really what I do is I work with my clients to really understand one, what are the belief systems that they have, like making it speakable, naming it, naming it out loud to another person, 
understanding what do they believe? Why do they believe that? Where does it come from? What are the messages that instilled that belief in them? And then challenging it. Is, it. is that belief system working for you or working against you? And if it's working against you, what is an alternate belief system that's more aligned with who you want to be? And, and that process, especially with the population that I work with, can be very empowering because a lot of the times they don't even know explicitly the belief system that's holding them back. They just feel the silent shame because they're not living up to it. But they can't actually pinpoint, I feel shame because I was told that I shouldn't be a sexual being. They, they, they never actually name it in those terms. But when we go through this process, they get to have a more clear idea of what it is that's actually igniting that shame. Oh, what you're describing, Lena, just sounds so much like this cognitive dissonance that, and I've seen it a lot from people who are raised in, you know, certain traditions that just make it hard to be a sexual person. I like that you're saying that sexual person, you know, that like, that's how we're all sexual people. But like, it's so interesting to me how that identity is is miscolored for people, right? Like that there's a darkness to being a sexual person. No, I'm not. Oh, I could never. And like, it's so, the hard thing is it's so basic to humanity to be a sexual person that we put, when we put shames on this, we cause so much harm, so much harm to people. So what are, yeah, no. So what are some of the things that you see then as like, first of all, what are some of the ways that people experience that harm in your, in your community and and like what you work with, but then also what are ways you help people develop that empowerment? Cause we love hope stories on this show. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) And, and, and that's the point. The idea isn't for them to just know that they've received all of these really harmful messages. The idea is to create new ones. Um, right. You've got to somehow empower people. It's our job. <laughs> yes. I know. My God. But um, like, to answer the first part of your question, it's quite interesting the way the way the stories connect where it wouldn't be immediately obvious. Like to give you an example, I gave the example earlier of, you know, feeling like orgasms are not something that you should have because you've masturbated. I've, I've worked with clients that have been in abusive relationships, physically, emotionally abusive relationships, because they believe that they deserve to be punished for having premarital sex with other people and lying about it, even though they had no option other than to lie. Um, Clients that uh, go into depressive states where they refuse to engage with their partners because they feel so guilty because they're into BDSM or kink. So, so there's, Mm. There's a, there's, and I, I do believe a lot of this comes from kind of the framework that religion is based on, where there's a set of rules, and if you don't follow the rules, there's a punishment, and and, and in most cases it's you know eternal damnation. But <laughs> oh, you know that old thing. <laughs> yeah, pretty high stakes, right? But but in that framework, it's saying there's a right way and a wrong way, and if you do things the right way, you get rewarded, and if you do things the wrong way, you get punished. And so a lot of people have internalized normative sexual behavior as bad, as sinful, and so they punish themselves. They let other people punish them and believe that they deserve it. And, and they're not necessarily able to access that self-compassion of one, you're a sexual being with sexual rights, and two, nobody deserves to be punished. And that- oh, that's that, so powerful. It, oh. it goes against the very framework of how they're taught to do religion. Yeah. 
Well, you know what? I mean, it's powerful because I was just thinking of like abusive relationships in general. Like one of the things that we look for in abusive relationships is the punishing only environment where basically the only feedback you get is when you're doing something wrong. And to some degree, and you don't have to, well, you don't have to agree with me, but it's just something I'm putting coming to terms with on my own personally around some religious ways, not all, because I know people can be more progressive or whatever. But like there is a very, in some forms of religion, there is very much a punishing only environment mm-hmm. where you are, you are just a sinner and you are in trouble and these are the things you're doing wrong. And this is how God is, or Allah, you know, whoever, you know, because I, I mean, I know we're talking about the Muslim community here too. And, um, well, not two, like fully. Sorry, <laughs> I have to second. I overthink everything, so I apologize. I'll do that in my questions. I do that, but too. like, there's. Oh, okay, cool, cool. It's because I want to be like really, really supportive and inclusive, and sometimes it means I have to overtalk myself out of things. But anyhow, like, basically, this punishing only environment creates a situation where people can't have self compassion. They almost right. feel like they they have to abuse themselves mentally, emotionally. Right. Like, you're such a bad person. What's wrong with you? How could you do this? Like, and it's very. It's very detrimental. It keeps people from advocating for themselves. It keeps people from being able to even enjoy sexuality at its basic level because they feel like they're ultimately like just this terrible person. Yes. And like, where's there to move from being terrible? Right. Like, right. I don't know. And, and add to that, in addition to that framework, framework of rule punishment, there's this other part of faith equals you do not question. Faith equals you don't challenge. And so it creates this culture of silence where nobody's talking about these things that they're wondering about or worrying about. And, and those two aspects that the, the punish, the rules punishment and the culture of silence are making it so that people are suffering and feeling completely trapped. And to, to kind of what you were saying before about religion, I, I you know, I'll, I'll be honest, I have my, I have, it's messy. I have parts yeah. of the religion that I embrace, other parts that I can't embrace, parts that mm-hmm. leave out um, anyone that has an alternative lifestyle, the LGBTQII community. Those, mm-hmm. those are areas that I simply cannot say, oh, well, it's just religion. I have to be open and vocally against that. And mm-hmm. there are also parts of the religion that I think are beautiful, the sense of community, the sense of purpose, the sense of belonging. And so my, yeah. my work with clients isn't to get them to accept or reject religion. It's their religion. It's to, yeah, it's theirs. Right. It, it's to help them rethink that framework so that they're able to experience both the parts of the religion that they love and create a sex-positive environment that's rooted in openness and acceptance. I personally think that's why contextual ways of looking at things can help people. So, you know, you're talking about stories and scripts. Um when people have a a form of separating a little bit from religion and understanding that context of, you know, like something you said earlier is that it's written by males and it's a pretty patriarchal society. So there's a context there, right, of how people interpret things. And so if you can separate yourself from that context, then sometimes it can help you to see beyond like what's being said to what does this mean to me? Right. which is a big part of story writing. It's like, well, what is it going to mean for me? And how can I find a way to embrace my religion or my culture, but then also let go of some parts of the context that just don't fit for me? Right. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And and the, the funny thing is we do that all the time with religion. We pick oh, and choose course. all the time. But somehow mm-hmm. when it comes to sex, we're like, wait, no, 
Like, no, you can't choose here. No. Exactly. Well, because you're going to hell, of course, (laughs) or in damnation, whatever. Right, right. (laughs) But but the thing that I always find ironic is when you look at these other areas and like, like, but you're not following these 20 other rules and you're cool with it. (laughs) But this one rule that is strictly about your own pleasure. You're not hurting anybody. You just want to feel good for, I don't know, two minutes. That's going to send you to hell. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's funny, but there's this billboard that was up here in St. Louis for a while. And I don't know if it's still up, but it said, it said something to the extent of God has better things to worry about than whether you eat bacon. And I'm pretty sure it was for, you know, people in the Jewish religion. I thought I saw something underneath that, but I thought it was funny because that's kind of an example of like, you know, is bacon, is bacon really going to send you to eternal damnation? If so, like we need to have a conversation with God about like where his priorities are. Right, right, right. (laughs) But I mean, it's just, it's interesting. You, you, you bring up a good point. I didn't even think about that, that like people pick and choose all the time. So why can't we allow people to kind to pick and choose in a way that fits for them, you know? Right, right. And, and also, you know, if you're picking, because we, we're not allowed to eat pork in, in Islam either, mm-hmm. what are the impacts of what you're picking and choosing? Because you know what? If you decide I'm going to have bacon, cool. If you decide you're not going to have bacon, cool. You just have to order a different type of breakfast. But when you decide mm-hmm. to shut down your sexual self and you end up in unhealthy relationships or end up living in in shame and feeling like you're a bad, dirty person, the stakes are pretty high there in terms of the consequence. So I guess what I'm trying to say is skip the bacon, choose sex. (laughs) (laughs) Now that's a great tagline. I know. Let's see if that billboard is still available. (laughs) You know, who cares about bacon? I want you to have good sex and that's final. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So how do you how do you personally define good sex? Well, good sex for me is it's healthy sex. It's consensual, it's mutually pleasurable, it's between people that are able to consent. Um, it's safe. Those are kind of the foundations. If, if those aren't there, there's a problem. Anything after okay. that, it's all good. Okay. So anything up to that is like, yeah, you figure it out. Yep. Experiment, <laughs> try, you know, some things you like, some things you won't. As long as you're not violating those, those core elements, then it's fair game. So you mentioned that, um, I was looking through some of your things here and there's some, some form of like kink and BDSM. Yeah. That you kind of incorporate here too. And so I'm curious, like what role does that play in your practice? Well, a couple different things. A lot of my clients come in wanting to work on how to integrate, one, release the shame that they feel around being aroused by kink and BDSM. Uh, The other is how to bring it into their relationships. But on a a less kind of individual basis, it ties into play, Mm -hmm. especially with BDSM. I mean, you're talking about coming out of roles, experimenting, trying accessing different parts of yourself that maybe you never gave yourself permission to access. So I am a firm believer that if you let yourself try other things, give yourself permission to try other things, it'll help get you out of the roles that might currently keep you, might be getting in the way of your sexual pleasure. And, and by that, I mean, you know, the mom that is stuck in a caregiver role that has a had hard time receiving playing around with BDSM is a great way to access that or the, you know, strong macho man that has a hard time being vulnerable. What's it like to give yourself permission to be submissive? 
Um, so so I, I do feel like it can be a gateway into exploring parts of ourselves that we don't always have the chance to or give ourselves permission to. I like what you're saying here too, because I think to add to play, like a dramatic play, is one thing I was thinking about is like role play, right? I think sometimes first giving yourself permission to play and pretend mm -hmm. is a part of that. Yep. And then secondly, when you give yourself permission to play a role, then sometimes you develop a new sense of freedom in that role. So it's not like I once, one of my favorite lines from actually one of my clients was, I'm not a sexual person. I'm an accountant. <laughs> <laughs> That's also a porn category. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, I thought it was so funny. And I was like, oh, really I didn't know. first it, it was one of those moments. Like I have these moments where people break me and I love them. Cause I'm just like, what the Yep. But the point is that like, so you're not this role all the time. Like that's the point. Like you can maneuver in and out of roles. Like you can be a porn star for this moment if you want to be, or you can be a dominant or you can be more vulnerable and you can play in these roles and you, you don't have to be that at every moment of every day. And I just, right. I think it speaks to just how varied like we are as people, but I love that play in that way. Like role play is a big part of sexuality and learning to step outside of yourself. So not only adding permission, but giving yourself a space to try something new, but to not be good at it because it's kind of a play. Exactly. Does that make sense? Exactly. And, and that, that's one of the parts that I think oftentimes gets left out of, of sex therapy or therapy in general, where we spend a lot of time processing pain, hurt, rejection, disappointment. We spend a lot of time in the pain and, and don't get me wrong, it needs its time. It needs to be processed. And oh, heard. absolutely. But a lot of times we get stuck in it. So I'll work with couples where they've done a lot of processing and they want to give themselves a new experience. But the second they try to, they say it either feels awkward or, you know, that's just not me or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And, People and, hate awkward so much, yeah. so much. Right, right. This <laughs> awkward means shut down and run away. So, uh huh. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and so play is a great way to give them a new experience, all under this this premise of you're just playing. You're not saying that you're going to, you know, be a dominatrix for the rest of your life and you can only wear black leather. But for the next hour, you totally can if that's what you want to do, and see how it feels. You might hate it, and that's okay too. But it, it's, <laughs> it's the permission piece, I think. And, and even just beyond BDSM per se, just play in general. You know, there was a podcast I was listening to, um, it was talking about how play is the gateway for empathy, which I, I completely agree with. It, it's a gateway for empathy, it unlocks possibilities, it stimulates creativity, it reduces stress, all of which are core components for a good sexual experience. Absolutely. And actually, you know, it's funny when you were, when you were mentioning it, I realized I, so I, did, I have this YouTube channel too, and I made this video about how people can relax, but it relates to this. And it had three steps because I always like to break things into steps. It's just what I do. Mm -hmm. So like step one was give yourself permission to actually take a break because people don't do that. They'll be like, oh, I need to work. I need to do this. So step one was that. And step two was create the scenario. And mm -hmm. so it could be like, um, change the setting. So I was thinking about how this could translate to like the sex, right? So it's like, all right, create the scenario of I'm going to be a dominatrix right now. Maybe I'm going to wear some leather. Maybe for this hour, I'm going to tell my partner what to do and have fun with this and see how it goes. But like, you're basically creating an environment that is, um, 
acceptable foreplay. So first permission, okay. then create the environment. And then the third skill that I suggested people do is mindfulness, mm-hmm. like learn to be fully present in that experience because that's where people kind of like, so you'll do it and you're like on a beach or something, or you've got candles and it's like, oh, I just can't. Yep. <laughs> so it's like, it's like get fully into that space and allow yourself to let go. But it still comes back to that first rule, which permission. is yeah. give yourself permission. If you don't give yourself permission, then when people are doing it, they'll be like observing themselves or be like, oh, I'm doing it wrong. Right. And so like when I'll, I'll do something similar with clients, but when I teach them, I'll tell them like, it's okay for you to laugh at yourself and then go back into the role, step in and step out. Like you're allowed to, you're allowed to be silly and, yeah. and joke with this too, you know, or, or how do you, but how do you kind of like teach it? Cause that's just, that's just something that came to my mind. <laughs> and and at very, very similar to your steps. I, I borrow a lot from the BDSM um, kind of toolkit. That's there's the permission mm-hmm. piece, the consent piece. There's the setting up the scene. Um, there's mm-hmm. the being present, and then there's the aftercare. All of which. Oh I yeah, I didn't that, think about that. <laughs> and, but one thing that resonates a lot with clients, because a lot of times we'll talk about it, and again, it's not me. I can't get into it. I'm going to be too self conscious. But those same clients, for example, it might be a. Um, big, tall, manly man client, but you put him with his three-year-old daughter and he's totally fine playing tea party and putting on the little, uh, <laughs> a little bit of makeup, sitting at the tiny table, sipping the tea and being totally oh, into so it with cute. his child. Oh, I love this. <laughs> it, it's the same basic premise. You're letting yourself, you're not a doll, you're a human being, but you're letting yourself for the sake of experiencing pleasure with your daughter, you're letting yourself play. Oh my goodness. That's such a, it tickled me a little bit, Lena, because I have a five-year-old who loves to do tea parties. Yeah. So I was just thinking of these little, she puts the cups at our, each of our sets and we all just like, oh, thank you. We want some more tea. And she'll yeah. tell us like, here's a cake. And, yeah. I gotta love it. <laughs> and you know, it's delicious tea and it's delicious imaginary oh, cake. because you It is so it. good. <laughs> yes, I do. And I thank her for giving it. And then she'll take the plates back because, you know, she's just, right. she's learning. Right. <laughs> Oh, that's cute though. And like, you know, it's funny when you do something like that, Lena, you kind of, like it does, it probably tickles them a little. It's like, oh, I do that with my kid and I can, I am Like, I think people do better when they know they already have a skill too. It's like, you actually have this skill set. You just need to see it transferred in some way. Right. (laughs) I think that goes back to the permission that play isn't just for kids, that the ways that you connect and play and let yourself go, adults need that too, probably even more so because our lives are so much more stressful. So if we let ourselves, we know how to do it. We don't have to learn how to do it. We have to let ourselves do it. You know, do you have anybody fight you who's like, no, play is not for me because I do. So I was curious, like, what, what's your strategy when a client's coming in and they're like, no, I've got work to do or no, I got to do this. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. Usually, how do you help them? Usually it takes a few sessions of, okay, try this. And then next session, did you try it? Well, you know, I got busy and, and you know stuff and okay so you know we'll try again (laughs) but ultimately what what generally helps is going baby steps not saying go full-blown setting up a scenario role-playing but what is a small way that you can access play and a lot of times it starts with non-sexual play and then we build up to okay something that can be more explicit and more sexual another another area is a lot of times being able to tap into the fantasies that they've wanted to play out that maybe haven't haven't named or haven't entertained. So motivation levels get higher when the thing that they're playing with is something that they've been fantasizing about for 25 years. 
Oh, sure. Well, so you said you might start with something maybe outside of the sexual realm. So what's an example of something you might have somebody do to play? So I usually don't tell them what to do. I let them tell me. Um, And a lot of times we'll talk about earlier on in their relationship, the things that they enjoy doing, and we'll kind of bring back some element of that. Um, But the things that I try to incorporate, like the, the specifics aside, there's usually an element of surprise. There's usually an element where one person is doing more of the planning and the other person is getting to experience um, kind of that anticipation of waiting and wondering and feeling like they're being kind of taken care of. Um, so, so I try to incorporate that. Now, what it looks like is more specific to the people involved. Sure. But what might be an example or two? Because sometimes people are looking for ideas. So it, um, so for anybody listening, this doesn't mean you have to do this thing, sure. but it's like, it helps to hear the examples to get an idea if you're ever going to try it. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So what are your good examples? So like, for example, for, for one couple, it's uh, they love music. And so they'll plan a music themed date where it's almost like creating a concert for each other at home where one person is surprising the other with the tracks that they're going to choose and setting it up so that it's it's a great environment to essentially have a concert at home. Um, It's like that old mixtape. I make you a mixtape. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Actually, that's exactly exactly what it is. Way back in the 80s when that's what we did. (laughs) Yeah. All right, cool. For for other people, like, you know, especially for a lot of of, of kind of uh, clients that are feeling like they're stuck in that role of I'm always giving, I'm, I'm, I'm always the caregiver, the caretaker. Um, their play for them is to not have to do anything. It's for their partner to pick out what they're going to wear, to pick out what their day is going to look like, what they're going to eat, to set everything up. And that's the playful part for them is that they get to essentially be guided by their partner and receive and, and receive all of that care. And it gives them permission to like shut down that part of their brain that's always planning. Oh, yeah. (laughs) As a personal planner, like somebody who always like, (laughs) I, oh my God. So I started to call this thing, the gremlin rules, all the different rules or like different strategies you come up with for yourself to like, you know, just do things. And I was like, Angela, don't be a gremlin. You know, (laughs) like relax, like take some time away from the planning. But actually it was a partner who called me a gremlin and and playful, not in a mean way, but he was like, you have a lot of rules, Angela. Did you know that you had those? And I was like, no, I did not. But thank you for making me aware. And I will work on that. Again, he wasn't saying it in a mean way, but I like, I was like, wow, why do I have all these, these rules, you know? And yeah, don't you hate when someone points out something? (laughs) <laughs> no, I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a grower by trade. You know, I love to learn and explore and, and, you know, my journey is always to become newer, smarter, find a different way of being, you know? So like, I don't, I don't actually mind when people point something out. I love, I love the chance to grow, even if yeah. it means I'm like, Whoa, I didn't know I was a gremlin. You can't yeah. feed me after midnight. I have to be in bed by a certain time, you know? <laughs> but But they're also adorable just so you know. I know. Well, but that's the thing. So they're adorable if you follow the rules, but if you don't, they're chaos. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I I I hate how much that resonates with me too. (laughs) Well, because it goes it goes back to everything we were talking about. You will have ultimate punishment. Right. 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 (laughs) Look what you've become. You know. Exactly. All because you slept for midnight. So. Or all because you masturbated. Look what happened. Now you're destroying civilization. <laughs> right, right. Who, who knew? I mean, 
it seemed so good. I didn't know I, I had so much it. power. <laughs> All right, hold on. Where were we talking? Because now I just got lost in the Gremlins side of things. Well, we were talking about play, and then we went to Gremlins. All right. All right. So let's talk about play again. So like, oh, that's right. I was asking you different examples because people want examples. So like, okay, so there are different ways. What are some other, other ways? Because I think people get a lot out of this. And when they learn to play, I agree with you that like, you know, you're spot on. The more that people learn to play, the more they can learn to express and give themselves permission to experience sexuality. So like any other good examples, because the more we have, the better. <laughs> sure, sure. I'm, so I'm trying to think now, because again, it's, it's so different for everyone. But one thing that's yeah, actually sure. helpful for people is to kind of create an environment for play to um, okay. watch movies that they remember being something that they connected with when they were younger. Um, from a sexual standpoint, kind of even doing almost like play research. So I'll ask couples <laughs> one day to just, you know, watch a bunch of porn, go online, decide here, let's try this, let's try that, whether it's porn or erotica or whatever it is, but mm-hmm. almost like you would plan your vacation. You kind of yeah. do that play where you say, all right, what's out there? I don't know what I want to try. Um, one one activity that couples really seem to enjoy doing is um, creating their sexual tasting menus. Oh. <laughs> and I think it's, a, it's very simple, which I think is why couples like it. But um, it's a fun process where basically you sit down and everybody creates everybody, depending on how many people are involved, but create their own sure. menu. And the idea is you put together your appetizers and the appetizers are the environment. They're candles want to be outside want to be whatever um or sorry no the venue is the um environment so you're you're designing your restaurant basically Uh uh-huh and then you do your appetizers which are foreplay i want you to um lick my nipples i want you to give me oral sex i want you to whatever and so everybody kind of lists what their version of their appetizers would be um and then they list their main courses and that's how they want to have sex, what positions they want to try, um, what would they like to start with if they're doing more of like a paste menu. Um, and then lastly would be the dessert. What do they want to do after? Do they want to, you know, get up and eat ice cream? Do they want to cuddle? Do they want to talk about it? Do they want to just, you know, lay in bed until they fall asleep? Whatever it is. And then they compare mm-hmm. menus and go through the process of deciding what their first meal is going to be pulling from each of their different menus. Oh, I like this. It's so savory. <laughs> it is. And, and the process gets them excited because they're thinking of all of the, it's, it's essentially like you're hungry and you're staring, you know, you're on, on DoorDash looking at all the menus basically. Lena, we're getting towards the end of this podcast and I've loved it. Actually, I feel like we could talk for a while, but we can't. <laughs> oh, I only have so much time, right? So I guess I just wanted to know, you know, like I always, I always ask my guests on, on the podcast, to this kind of last question. And it's just, you know, what's a final message you want to send to anybody listening just about sex, about life, just something you want people to kind of take home from you. Yeah. And I'm a very contextual and, thinker. So oftentimes my final message is like an essay, but I'm not going to do that because again, <laughs> do you your best to not to, <laughs> but I would say to be aware of your script, to be aware, aware of your stories, and to trust that you are the author of it, that no one else is the author. Even though there are people that try to, people, society, culture, religion, whatever it is, that put things into your story, into your script, 
ultimately you're the one that has the ability to erase, delete, edit, and rewrite. And, and that process is the start of being able to feel empowered and create your own sexual identity. So, so really, I want people to know that they have permission and they have the tools to be able to take ownership of that. And how do they find you? Tell us your links. Okay, so my email address is lena, L-E-N-A, at essentiatherapy.com. And the URL is, like I said earlier, it's essentiatherapy, E-S-S-E-N-T-I-A, therapy.com. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram. The um, handle is at essentiatherapy. So you can find me in any of those places. Um, there's also a box to subscribe to my newsletter on my website. So you're welcome to do that to be able to stay up to date in terms of blog posts and content that I'll be creating. Well, uh, I want to thank you for joining us. We have been talking to Lena el <laughs> I'd like to do it. I would like to do it correctly. I love it. Um, I'm doing my best. It's great. I want to thank you for joining us. And um, you can find me at www.therapistinsaintlouis.com. And of course, the podcast is www.aboutsexpodcast.com. Thank you again for joining us and stay kinky, St. Louis. <laughs> <laughs>